Section 5 of The Chorus Girl and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tavarish. The Chorus Girl and Other Stories by Anton Chekhov. Translated by Constance Garnett. My Life. The Story of a Provincial. Part 3. Autumn came on rainy dark and muddy the season of unemployment set in and i used to sit at home out of work for three days at a stretch i did various little jobs not in the painting line for instance i wheeled earth earning about fourpence a day by it dr blagovo had gone away to petersburg my sister had given up coming to see me Radish was laid up at home, ill, expecting death from day to day. And my mood was autumnal, too. Perhaps because, having become a workman, I saw our town life only from the seamy side. It was my lot almost every day to make discoveries which reduced me almost to despair. Those of my fellow citizens, about whom I had no opinion before, or who had externally appeared perfectly decent, turned out now to be base, cruel people, capable of any dirty action. We common people were deceived, cheated, and kept waiting for hours together in the cold entry or the kitchen. We were insulted and treated with the utmost rudeness. In the autumn I papered the reading room and two other rooms at the club. I was paid a penny three farthings the piece, but had to sign a receipt at the rate of two pence halfpenny, and when I refused to do so, a gentleman of benevolent appearance in gold-rimmed spectacles, who must have been one of the club committee, said to me, "'If you say much more, you blackguard, I'll pound your face into a jelly and when the flunky whispered to him what i was the son of polisnev the architect he became embarrassed turned crimson but immediately recovered himself and said devil take him in the shops they palmed off on us workmen putrid meat musty flour and tea that had been used and dried again the police hustled us in church, the assistants and nurses in the hospital plundered us, and if we were too poor to give them a bribe, they revenged themselves by bringing us food in dirty vessels. In the post office the pettiest official considered he had a right to treat us like animals and to shout with coarse insolence, You wait! Where are you shoving to? Even the house-dogs were unfriendly to us, and fell upon us with peculiar viciousness. But the thing that struck me most of all in my new position was the complete lack of justice. What is defined by the peasants in the words, They have forgotten God. Rarely did a day pass without swindling. We were swindled by the merchants who sold us oil, by the contractors and the workmen, and the people who employed us i need not say that there could never be a question of our rights and we always had to ask for money we earned as though it were a charity and to stand waiting for it at the back door cap in hand i was papering a room at the club next to the reading room in the evening when i was just getting ready to go the daughter of dolzhik of the engineer walked into the room with a bundle of books under her arm i bowed to her oh how do you do she said recognizing me at once and holding out her hand i'm very glad to see you she smiled and looked with curiosity and wonder at my smock my pail of paste the paper stretched on the floor i was embarrassed and she too felt awkward you must excuse my looking at you like this she said i have been told so much about you especially by dr blagovo he is simply in love with you and i have made the acquaintance of your sister too 
a sweet dear girl but i can never persuade her that there is nothing awful about your adopting the simple life on the contrary you have become the most interesting man in the town she looked again at the pail of paste and the wallpaper and went on i asked dr blagovo to make me better acquainted with you but apparently he forgot or had no time anyway we are acquainted all the same and if you would come and see me quite simply i should be extremely indebted to you i so long to have a talk i am a simple person she added holding out her hand to me and i hope that you will feel no constraint with me my father is not here he is in petersburg she went off into the reading-room rustling her skirts while i went home and for a long time could not get to sleep that cheerless autumn some kind soul evidently wishing to alleviate my existence sent me from time to time tea and lemons or biscuits or roast game karpovna told me that they were always brought by a soldier and from whom they came she did not know and the soldier used to inquire whether i was well and whether i dined every day and whether i had warm clothing when the frosts began i was presented in the same way in my absence with a soft knitted scarf brought by the soldier there was a faint elusive smell of scent about it and i guessed who my good fairy was the scarf smelt of lilies of the valley the favorite scent of anyuta blagovo towards winter there was more work and it was more cheerful radish recovered and we worked together in the cemetery church where we were putting the groundwork on the icon stand before gilding it was a clean quiet job and as our fellows used to say profitable one could get through a lot of work in a day and the time passed quickly imperceptibly there was no swearing no laughter no loud talk the place itself compelled one to quietness and decent behavior and disposed one to quiet serious thoughts absorbed in our work we stood or sat motionless like statues there was a deathly silence in keeping with the cemetery so that if a tool fell or a flame sputtered in the lamp the noise of such sounds rang out abrupt and resonant and made us look round after a long silence we would hear a buzzing like the swarming of bees it was the requiem of a baby being chanted slowly in subdued voices in the porch or an artist painting a dove with stars round it on a cupola would begin softly whistling and recollecting himself with a start would at once relapse into silence or radish answering his thoughts would say with a sigh anything is possible anything is possible or a slow disconsolate bell would begin ringing over our heads and the painters would observe that it must be for the funeral of some wealthy person my days i spent in this stillness in the twilight of the church and in the long evenings i played billiards or went to the theatre in the gallery wearing the new trousers i had bought out of my own earnings concerts and performances had already begun at the ajogins radish used to paint the scenes alone now he used to tell me the plot of the plays and describe the tableau vivant which he witnessed i listened to him with envy i felt greatly drawn to the rehearsals but i could not bring myself to go to the ajogins a week before christmas dr blagovo arrived and again we argued and played billiards in the evening when he played he used to take off his coat and unbutton his shirt over his chest and for some reason tried altogether to assume the air of a desperate rake he did not drink much but made a great uproar about it and had a special faculty for getting through twenty roubles in an evening 
at such a poor cheap tavern as the Volga. My sister began coming to see me again. They both expressed surprise every time on seeing each other, but from her joyful, guilty face it was evident that these meetings were not accidental. One evening, when we were playing billiards, the doctor said to me, I say, why don't you go and see Miss Dolzhikov? You don't know Maria Viktorovna. She's a clever creature, a charmer, a simple, good-natured soul. I described how her father had received me in the spring. Nonsense, laughed the doctor. The engineer's one thing, and she's another. Really, my dear fellow, you mustn't be nasty to her. Go and see her sometimes. For instance, let's go and see her tomorrow evening. What do you say? He persuaded me. The next evening I put on my new serge trousers, and in some agitation I set off to Miss Dolzhikov's. The footman did not seem so haughty and terrible, nor the furniture so gorgeous as on that morning when I had come to ask a favor. Maria Viktorovna was expecting me, and she received me like an old acquaintance, shaking hands with me in a friendly way. She was wearing a grey cloth dress with full sleeves and had her hair done in the style which we used to call dog's ears when it came into fashion in the town a year before. The hair was combed down over the ears, and this made Maria Viktorovna's face look broader, and she seemed to me this time very much like her father, whose face was broad and red, with something in its expression like a sledge-driver. She was handsome and elegant, but not youthful-looking. She looked thirty, though in reality she was not more than twenty-five. "'Dear doctor, how grateful I am to you,' she said, making me sit down. "'If it hadn't been for him, you wouldn't have come to see me. I am bored to death. My father has gone away and left me alone, and I don't know what to do with myself in this town.' Then she began asking me where I was working now, how much I earned, where I lived. "'Do you spend on yourself nothing but what you earn?' she asked. No. Happy man, she sighed. All the evil in life, it seems to me, comes from idleness, boredom, and spiritual emptiness, and all this is inevitable when one is accustomed to living at other people's expense. Don't think I am showing off. I tell you truthfully, it is not interesting or pleasant to be rich." make to yourselves friends of the mammon of unrighteousness is said because there is not and cannot be a mammon that's righteous she looked round at the furniture with a grave cold expression as though she wanted to count it over and went on comfort and luxury have a magical power little by little they draw into their clutches even strong-willed people at one time father and i lived simply not in a rich style but now you see how it is something monstrous she said shrugging her shoulders we spend up to twenty thousand a year in the provinces one comes to look at comfort and luxury as the invariable privilege of capital and education i said and it seems to me that the comforts of life may be combined with any sort of labor, even the hardest and dirtiest. Your father is rich, and yet he says himself that it has been his lot to be a mechanic and an oiler. She smiled, and shook her head doubtfully. My father sometimes eats bread dipped in kvass, she said. It's a fancy, a whim. At that moment there was a ring, and she got up. The rich and well-educated ought to work like everyone else, she said, and if there is comfort, it ought to be equal for all. There ought not to be any privileges. But that's enough philosophizing. Tell me something amusing. Tell me about the painters. What are they like? Funny? The doctor came in. I began telling them about the painters, but being unaccustomed to talking, I was constrained 
and described them like an ethnologist gravely and tediously the doctor too told us some anecdotes of working men he staggered about shed tears dropped on his knees and even mimicking a drunkard lay on the floor it was as good as a play and maria viktorovna laughed till she cried as she looked at him then he played on the piano and sang in his thin pleasant tenor while maria viktorovna stood by and picked out what she was to sing and corrected him when he made a mistake i've heard that you sing too i inquired sing too cried the doctor in horror she sings exquisitely a perfect artist and you talk of her singing too what an idea i did study in earnest at one time she said answering my question but now i have given it up sitting on a low stool she told us of her life in petersburg and mimicked some celebrated singers imitating their voice and manner of singing she made a sketch of the doctor in her album then of me she did not draw well but both the portraits were like us she laughed and was full of mischief and charming grimaces and this suited her better than talking about the mammon of unrighteousness and it seemed to me that she had been talking just before about wealth and luxury not in earnest but in imitation of someone she was a superb comic actress i mentally compared her with our young ladies and even the handsome dignified anyuta blagovo could not stand comparison with her the difference was immense like the difference between a beautiful cultivated rose and a wild briar we had supper together the three of us the doctor and maria viktorovna drank red wine champagne and coffee with brandy in it they clinked glasses and drank to friendship to enlightenment to progress to liberty and they did not get drunk but only flushed and were continually for no reason laughing till they cried so as not to be tiresome i drank claret too talented richly endowed natures said miss dolzhikov know how to live and go their own way mediocre people like myself for instance know nothing and can do nothing of themselves there is nothing left for them but to discern some deep social movement and to float where they are carried by it how can one discern what doesn't exist asked the doctor we think so because we don't see it is that so the social movements are the invention of the new literature there are none among us an argument began there are no deep social movements among us and never have been the doctor declared loudly there is no end to what the new literature has invented it has invented intellectual workers in the country and you may search through all our villages and find at the most some lout in a reefer jacket or a black frock coat who will make four mistakes in spelling a word of three letters cultured life has not yet begun among us there is the same savagery the same uniform boorishness the same triviality as five hundred years ago movements currents there have been but it has all been petty paltry bent upon vulgar and mercenary interests and one cannot see anything important in them if you think you have discerned a deep social movement and in following it you devote yourself to tasks in the modern taste such as the emancipation of insects from slavery or abstinence from beefy souls i congratulate you madam we must study and study and study and we must wait a bit with our deep social movements we are not mature enough for them yet and to tell the truth we don't know anything about them you don't know anything about them but i do said maria viktorovna goodness how tiresome you are today our duty is to study and to study 
to try to accumulate as much knowledge as possible, for genuine social movements arise where there is knowledge, and the happiness of mankind in the future lies only in knowledge. I drink to science. There is no doubt about one thing. One must organize one's life somehow differently, said Maria Viktorovna, after a moment's silence and thought. Life such as it has been hitherto is not worth having. Don't let us talk about it. As we came away from her, the cathedral clock struck two. Did you like her? asked the doctor. She's nice, isn't she? On Christmas Day we dined with Maria Viktorovna, and all through the holidays we went to see her almost every day. There was never anyone there but ourselves, and she was right when she said that she had no friends in the town but the doctor and me. We spent our time for the most part in conversation. Sometimes the doctor brought some book or magazine and read aloud to us. In reality, he was the first well-educated man I had met in my life. I cannot judge whether he knew a great deal, but he always displayed his knowledge as though he wanted other people to share it. When he talked about anything relating to medicine, he was not like any one of the doctors in our town, but made a fresh, peculiar impression on me, and I fancied that if he liked, he might have become a real man of science. And he was, perhaps, the only person who had a real influence upon me at that time. Seeing him and reading the books he gave me, I began little by little to feel a thirst for the knowledge which would have given significance to my cheerless labor. It seemed strange to me, for instance, that I had not known till then that the whole world was made up of sixty elements. I had not known what oil was, what paints were, and that I could have got on without knowing these things. My acquaintance with the doctor elevated me morally, too. I was continually arguing with him, and, though I usually remained of my own opinion, yet, thanks to him, I began to perceive that everything was not clear to me, and I began trying to work out, as far as I could, definite convictions in myself that the dictates of conscience might be definite, and that there might be nothing vague in my mind. Yet, though he was the most cultivated and best man in the town, he was nevertheless far from perfection. In his manners, in his habit of turning every conversation into an argument, in his pleasant tenor, even in his friendliness, there was something coarse, like a divinity student, and when he took off his coat and sat in his silk shirt or flung a tip to a waiter in the restaurant, I always fancied that culture might be all very well, but the Tatar was fermenting in him still. At Epiphany he went back to Petersburg. He went off in the morning, and after dinner my sister came in. Without taking off her fur coat and her cap, she sat down in silence, very pale, and kept her eyes fixed on the same spot. She was chilled by the frost, and one could see that she was upset by it. You must have caught cold, I said. Her eyes filled with tears. She got up and went out to Karpovna without saying a word to me, as though I had hurt her feelings. And a little later I heard her saying in a tone of bitter reproach, Nurse, what have I been living for till now? What? Tell me. Haven't I wasted my youth? All the best years of my life to know nothing but keeping accounts, pouring out tea, counting the halfpence, entertaining visitors, and thinking there was nothing better in the world. Nurse, do understand, I have the cravings of a human being, and I want to live and they have turned me into something like a housekeeper. It's horrible, horrible. She flung her keys towards the door, and they fell with a jingle into my room. They were the keys of the sideboard, of the kitchen cupboard, of the cellar, and of the tea caddy, the keys 
which my mother used to carry. Oh, merciful heavens! cried the old woman in horror. Holy saints above! Before going home, my sister came into my room to pick up the keys and said, You must forgive me. Something queer has happened to me lately. On returning home late one evening from Maria Viktorovna's, I found waiting in my room a young police inspector in a new uniform. He was sitting at my table, looking through my books. At last, he said, getting up and stretching himself. This is the third time I have been to you. The governor commands you to present yourself before him at nine o'clock in the morning, without fail. He took from me a signed statement that I would act upon His Excellency's command and went away. This late visit of the police inspector and unexpected invitation to the governor's had an overwhelmingly oppressive effect upon me. From my earliest childhood I have felt terror-stricken in the presence of gendarmes, policemen, and law court officials, and now I was tormented by uneasiness, as though I were really guilty in some way, and I could not get to sleep. My nurse and Prokofi were also upset and could not sleep. My nurse had earache, too. She moaned and several times began crying with pain. Hearing that I was awake, Prokofi came into my room with a lamp and sat down at the table. "'You ought to have a drink of pepper cordial,' he said after a moment's thought. "'If one does have a drink in this veil of tears, it does no harm. And if Mama were to pour a little pepper cordial in her ear, it would do her a lot of good.' Between two and three, he was going to the slaughterhouse for the meat. I knew I should not sleep till morning now, and to get through the time till nine o'clock I went with him. We walked with a lantern, while his boy Nikolka, aged thirteen, with blue patches on his cheeks from frostbites, a regular young brigand to judge by his expression, drove after us in the sledge, urging on the horse in a husky voice. I suppose they will punish you at the governor's, Prokofi said to me on the way. There are rules of the trade for governors, and rules for the higher clergy, and rules for the officers, and rules for the doctors, and every class has its rules. But you haven't kept to your rules, and you can't be allowed. The slaughterhouse was behind the cemetery, and till then I had only seen it in the distance. It consisted of three gloomy barns, surrounded by a grey fence, and when the wind blew from that quarter on hot days in summer, it brought a stifling stench from them. Now going into the yard in the dark, I did not see the barns. I kept coming across horses and sledges, some empty, some loaded up with meat. Men were walking about with lanterns, swearing in a disgusting way. Prokofi and Nikolka swore just as revoltingly, and the air was in a continual uproar with swearing, coughing, and the neighing of horses. There was a smell of dead bodies and of dung. It was thawing, the snow was changing into mud, and in the darkness it seemed to me that I was walking through pools of blood. Having piled up the sledges full of meat, we set off to the butcher's shop in the market. It began to get light. Cooks with baskets and elderly ladies in mantles came along one after another. Prokofi with a chopper in his hand, in a white apron, spattered with blood, swore fearful oaths, crossed himself at the church, shouted aloud for the whole market to hear that he was giving away the meat at cost price and even at a loss to himself. He gave short weight and short change. The cooks saw that, but deafened by his shouts, did not protest and only called him a hangman. 
brandishing and bringing down his terrible chopper he threw himself into picturesque attitudes and each time uttered the sound <laughs> with a ferocious expression and i was afraid he really would chop off somebody's head or hand i spent all the morning in the butcher's shop and when at last i went to the governor's my overcoat smelt of meat and blood my state of mind was as though i were being sent spear in hand to meet a bear i remember the tall staircase with a striped carpet on it and the young official with shiny buttons who mutely motioned me to the door with both hands and ran to announce me i went into a hall luxuriously but frigidly and tastelessly furnished and the high narrow mirrors in the spaces between the walls and the bright yellow window curtains struck the eye particularly unpleasantly one could see that the governors were changed but the furniture remained the same again the young official motioned me with both hands to the door and i went up to a big green table at which a military general with the order of ledimer on his breast was standing mr polesniv i have asked you to come he began holding a letter in his hand and opening his mouth like a round o i have asked you to come here to inform you of this your highly respected father has appealed by letter and by word of mouth to the marshal of the nobility begging him to summon you and to lay before you the inconsistency of your behaviour with the rank of the nobility to which you have the honour to belong his excellency alexander pavlovitch justly supposing that your conduct might serve as a bad example and considering that mere persuasion on his part would not be sufficient but that official intervention in earnest was essential presents me here in this letter with his views in regard to you which i share he said this quietly respectfully standing erect as though i were his superior officer and looking at me with no trace of severity his face looked worn and wizened and was all wrinkles there were bags under his eyes his hair was dyed and it was impossible to tell from his appearance how old he was forty or sixty i trust he went on that you appreciate the delicacy of our honoured alexander pavlovitch who has addressed himself to me not officially but privately i too have asked you to come here unofficially and i am speaking to you not as a governor but from a sincere regard to your father and so i beg you either to alter your line of conduct and return to duties in keeping with your rank or to avoid setting a bad example remove to another district where you are not known and where you can follow any occupation you please in the other case i shall be forced to take extreme measures he stood for half a minute in silence looking at me with his mouth open are you a vegetarian he asked no your excellency i eat meat he sat down and drew some papers towards him i bowed and went out it was not worth while now to go to work before dinner i went home to sleep but could not sleep from an unpleasant sickly feeling induced by the slaughter-house and my conversation with the governor and when the evening came i went gloomy and out of sorts to maria viktorovna i told her how i had been at the governor's while she stared at me in perplexity as though she did not believe it then suddenly began laughing gaily loudly irrepressibly as only good-natured laughter-loving people can if only one could tell that in petersburg she brought out almost falling over with laughter and propping herself against the table if one could tell that in petersburg now we used to see each other often sometimes twice a day 
she used to come to the cemetery almost every day after dinner and read the epitaphs on the crosses and tombstones while she waited for me sometimes she would come into the church and standing by me would look on while i worked the stillness the naive work of the painters and gilders radishes sage reflections and the fact that i did not differ externally from the other workmen and worked just as they did in my waistcoat with no socks on and that i was addressed familiarly by them all this was new to her and touched her one day a workman who was painting a dove on the ceiling called out to me in her presence miss aila hand me up the white paint i took him the white paint and afterwards when i let myself down by the frail scaffolding she looked at me touched to tears and smiling what a dear you are she said i remembered from my childhood how a green parrot belonging to one of the rich men of the town had escaped from its cage and how for quite a month afterwards the beautiful bird had haunted the town flying from garden to garden homeless and solitary maria victorovna reminded me of that bird there is positively nowhere for me to go but the cemetery she said to me with a laugh the town has become disgustingly dull at the jorgens they are still reciting singing lisping i have grown to detest them of late your sister is an unsociable creature mademoiselle blagovo hates me for some reason i don't care for the theatre tell me where am i to go when i went to see her i smelt of paint and turpentine and my hands were stained and she liked that she wanted me to come to her in my ordinary working clothes but in her drawing-room those clothes made me feel awkward i felt embarrassed as though i were in uniform so i always put on my new serge trousers when i went to her and she did not like that you must own you are not quite at home in your new character she said to me one day your workman's dress does not feel natural to you you are awkward in it tell me isn't that because you haven't a firm conviction and are not satisfied the very kind of work you have chosen your painting surely it does not satisfy you does it she asked laughing i know paint makes things look nicer and last longer but those things belong to rich people who live in towns and after all they are luxuries besides you have often said yourself that everybody ought to get his bread by the work of his own hands yet you get money and not bread why shouldn't you keep to the literal sense of your words you ought to be getting bread that is you ought to be ploughing sowing reaping threshing or doing something which has a direct connection with agriculture for instance looking after cows digging building huts of logs she opened a pretty cupboard that stood near her writing-table and said i am saying all this to you because i want to let you into my secret voila this is my agricultural library here i have fields kitchen garden and orchard and cattle yard and beehives i read them greedily and have already learned all the theory to the tiniest detail my dream my darling wish is to go to our dubechnya as soon as march is here it's marvellous there exquisite isn't it the first year i shall have a look round and get into things and the year after i shall begin to work properly myself putting my back into it as they say my father has promised to give me the bechnya and i shall do exactly what i like with it flushed excited to tears and laughing she dreamed aloud how she would live at dubechnya and what an interesting life it would be i envied her march was near the days were growing longer and longer and on bright sunny days water dripped from the roofs at midday and there was a fragrance of spring i too longed for the country
and when she said that she should move to dubetchnya i realized vividly that i should remain in the town alone and i felt that i envied her with her cupboard of books and her agriculture i knew nothing of work on the land and did not like it and i should have liked to have told her that work on the land was slavish toil but i remembered that something similar had been said more than once by my father and i held my tongue lent began victor ivanitch whose existence i had begun to forget arrived from petersburg he arrived unexpectedly without even a telegram to say he was coming when i went in as usual in the evening he was walking about the drawing-room telling some story with his face freshly washed and shaven looking ten years younger his daughter was kneeling on the floor taking out of his trunks boxes bottles and books and handing them to pavel the footman i involuntarily drew back a step when i saw the engineer but he held out both hands to me and said smiling showing his strong white teeth that looked like a sledge-driver's here he is here he is very glad to see you mr house-painter masha has told me all about it she has been singing your praises i quite understand and approve he went on taking my arm to be a good workman is ever so much more honest and more sensible than wasting government paper and wearing a cockade on your head i myself worked in belgium with these very hands and then spent two years as a mechanic he was wearing a short reefer jacket and indoor slippers he walked like a man with the gout rolling slightly from side to side and rubbing his hands humming something he softly purred and hugged himself with satisfaction at being at home again at last and able to have his beloved shower bath there is no disputing he said to me at supper there is no disputing you are all nice and charming people but for some reason as soon as you take to manual labor or go in for saving the peasants in the long run it all comes to no more than being a dissenter aren't you a dissenter here you don't take vodka what's the meaning of that if it is not being a dissenter to satisfy him i drank some vodka and i drank some wine too we tasted the cheese the sausage the pates the pickles and the savouries of all sorts that the engineer had brought with him and the wine that had come in his absence from abroad the wine was first-rate for some reason the engineer got wine and cigars from abroad without paying duty the caviar and the dried sturgeon someone sent him for nothing he did not pay rent for his flat as the owner of the house provided the kerosene for the line and altogether he and his daughter produced on me the impression that all the best in the world was at their service and provided for them for nothing i went on going to see them but not with the same eagerness the engineer made me feel constrained and in his presence i did not feel free i could not face his clear guileless eyes his reflections wearied and sickened me i was sickened too by the memory that so lately i had been in the employment of this red-faced well-fed man and that he had been brutally rude to me it is true that he put his arm round my waist slapped me on the shoulder in a friendly way approved my manner of life but i felt that as before he despised my insignificance and only put up with me to please his daughter and i couldn't now laugh and talk as i liked and i behaved unsociably and kept expecting that in another minute he would address me as pantelay as he did his footman pavel how my pride as a provincial and a workingman was revolted i a proletarian a house painter went every day to rich people who were alien to me 
and whom the whole town regarded as though they were foreigners and every day i drank costly wines with them and ate unusual dainties my conscience refused to be reconciled to it on my way to the house i sullenly avoided meeting people and looked at them from under my brows as though i really were a dissenter and when i was going home from the engineers i was ashamed of my well-fed condition above all i was afraid of being carried away whether i was walking along the street or working or talking to the other fellows i was all the time thinking of one thing only of going in the evening to see maria viktorovna and was picturing her voice her laugh her movements when i was getting ready to go to her i always spent a long time before my nurse's warped looking-glass as i fastened my tie my serge trousers were detestable in my eyes and i suffered torments and at the same time despised myself for being so trivial when she called to me out of the other room that she was not dressed and asked me to wait i listened to her dressing it agitated me i felt as though the ground were giving way under my feet and when i saw a woman's figure in the street even at a distance i invariably compared it it seemed to me that all our girls and women were vulgar that they were absurdly dressed and did not know how to hold themselves and these comparisons aroused a feeling of pride in me maria viktorovna was the best of them all and i dreamed of her and myself at night one evening at supper with the engineer we ate a whole lobster as i was going home afterwards i remembered that the engineer twice called me my dear fellow at supper and i reflected that they treated me very kindly in that house as they might an unfortunate big dog who had been kicked out by its owners that they were amusing themselves with me and that when they were tired of me they would turn me out like a dog i felt ashamed and wounded wounded to the point of tears as though i had been insulted and looking up at the sky i took a vow to put an end to all this the next day i did not go to the dolzhikovs late in the evening when it was quite dark and raining i walked along great dvoryansky street looking up at the windows everyone was asleep at the Ajogins, and the only light was in one of the furthest windows it was madame Ajogin in her own room sewing by the light of three candles imagining that she was combating superstition our house was in darkness but at the dolzhikovs on the contrary the windows were lighted up but one could distinguish nothing through the flowers and the curtains i kept walking up and down the street the cold march rain drenched me through i heard my father come home from the club he stood knocking at the gate a minute later a light appeared at the window and i saw my sister who was hastening down with a lamp while with the other hand she was twisting her thick hair together as she went then my father walked about the drawing-room talking and rubbing his hands while my sister sat in a low chair thinking and not listening to what he said but then they went away the light went out i glanced round at the engineers and there too all was darkness now in the dark and the rain i felt hopelessly alone abandoned to the whims of destiny i felt that all my doings my desires and everything i had thought and said till then were trivial in comparison with my loneliness in comparison with my present suffering and the suffering that lay before me in the future alas the thoughts and doings of living creatures are not nearly so significant as their sufferings and without clearly realizing what i was doing i pulled at the bell of the dolzhikov's gate broke it 
and ran along the street like some naughty boy with a feeling of terror in my heart expecting every moment that they would come out and recognize me when i stopped at the end of the street to take breath i could hear nothing but the sound of the rain and somewhere in the distance a watchman striking on a sheet of iron for a whole week i did not go to the dolzhikovs my serge trousers were sold there was nothing doing in the painting trade i knew the pangs of hunger again and earned from twopence to fourpence a day where i could by heavy and unpleasant work struggling up to my knees in the cold mud straining my chest i tried to stifle my memories and as it were to punish myself for the cheeses and preserves with which i had been regaled at the engineers but all the same as soon as i lay in bed wet and hungry my sinful imagination immediately began to paint exquisite seductive pictures and with amazement i acknowledged to myself that i was in love passionately in love and I fell into a sound, heavy sleep, feeling that hard labor only made my body stronger and younger. One evening snow began falling most inappropriately, and the wind blew from the north as though winter had come back again. When I returned from work that evening, I found Maria Viktorovna in my room. She was sitting in her fur coat, and had both hands in her muff why don't you come to see me she asked raising her clear clever eyes and i was utterly confused with delight and stood stiffly upright before her as i used to stand facing my father when he was going to beat me she looked into my face and i could see from her eyes that she understood why i was confused why don't you come to see me she repeated if you don't want to come you see i have come to you she got up and came close to me don't desert me she said and her eyes filled with tears i am alone utterly alone she began crying and hiding her face in her muff articulated alone my life is hard very hard and in all the world i have no one but you don't desert me looking for a handkerchief to wipe her tears she smiled we were silent for some time then i put my arms round her and kissed her scratching my cheek till it bled with her hatpin as i did it and we began talking to each other as though we had been on the closest terms for ages and ages. End of section 5